you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 22. We're going to move around this morning quite a bit, um, not really camp out anywhere specifically, but I want you to begin in Jeremiah 22. And before we do, I want to tell you about an experience we had uh, about a week ago. Um, My family and I, with another family here from the Ridge and also uh, some neighbors, uh, went to Waxahachie and got to experience what's called uh, Bethlehem Revisited. Uh, it's an event where you go and you walk around from uh, a, an area that has been uh, made to look like what Bethlehem may look like back in the time of Jesus uh, with actors and actresses playing the part. And as you went to uh, place to place, the people would say to you upon greeting you, they would say, Shalom, Shalom. And at first it took us a little back, right? Because we're used to hearing, hello, how are you doing? Things like that. And so a little different and started seeing in my kids that, oh, what, what is this greeting? What is this greeting? And, and it got me thinking about the word Shalom. Sure, we know the word to mean peace. It's a common meaning of Shalom. It's a, it's a greeting that means hello. It can also mean goodbye. But the word shalom has such fullness in what it means. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew, the word shalom, yes, means peace, but it also means harmony. It means wholeness. It means completeness, prosperity, welfare, tranquility. It's more than just the absence of agitation or discords. It is corporate fulfillment, corporate wholeness, corporate beauty. We need shalom. We need it desperately. We need what the Bible speaks of. It's an uncommon peace. That's what shalom is. One of my favorite songs this time of year is the hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I love that song. Renowned poet, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, he wrote the words to this familiar hymn. He wrote it in 1863 during the Civil War as it was raging. His oldest son, Charles, who was 17, entered the war. And his boy suffered many wounds and was nearly paralyzed. He did recover, though. But with that and the continuing war that was raging around Longfellow... It became the backdrop to the hymn that he would write, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. You see, the song speaks of the feelings of hopelessness that was all around him, the lack of shalom. As he says, in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong that mocks the song, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we may feel that way in our day. We may feel like Longfellow. Where's shalom? Where's peace and goodwill to men? Yes, it will come. It will come. In fact, that was his hope. More words from his song proclaims that hope. He says, Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men until the day when Christ returns and ultimate peace complete shalom does come it is through the church 
the body of Christ, the big C, that God wants to spread shalom. It is through the local church, through the Ridge Church, that God wants to spread shalom, this uncommon peace. It's part of seeing God's kingdom come. It's part of seeing his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today, what I would like to do is look at this peace. What is shalom? And what is God's heart for this? And what's his desire for his church to spread it? And so to do that, I I want us to see God's heart first. And to do that, I want us to see the opposite of shalom. What is the opposite of shalom? Look at Jeremiah 22. And we're going to see this here. The Lord has, has told Jeremiah to go to kings, the, to the king's palace, and deliver a message. And listen to what it says. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on David's throne, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. And so God tells Jeremiah, go to the king's palace and share these words to the king, to the administrators there. And what word is he to share? Verse 3, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, to the orphan or the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place. For if you men will indeed perform this thing, the very thing he just says in verse 3, then kings will enter the gates of this house, sitting in David's place on his throne, riding in chariots and on horses, even the king himself and his servants and his people. So blessing will come. The favor of God will come. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, God says, that this house will become a desolation. It's an interesting section of scripture. And here we find the opposite, ops, excuse me, the opposite of shalom. In verse 3 specifically, listen to these words. Do justice and righteousness. Deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of the oppressor. Do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. So if we were to step back and and give one word to the opposite of what God desires here, which is shalom, what would that one word be? What's that opposite of shalom? I I think real simply, it's injustice, right? That's the opposite of shalom. In fact, I love how Andy McQuitty defines injustice In fact, he uses this verse to describe it. He says, injustice is the powerful oppressing the powerless through dishonor, through robbery, and or violence. There's another passage in Isaiah 59.8 that uses both shalom and injustice in the same verse. It says in Isaiah 59.8, they do not know the way of peace and there is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. And so God's heart is for shalom. The opposite of that is injustice. And injustice is all around us. We see it every day. We hear it on the news, on the radio. We see it on our computers. We see it on the TV. 
It is those using their position of power, those who maybe have an upper hand to oppress others. It's practiced by nations or groups. It can be the rich toward the poor. It can be the religious toward the irreligious. It's racism. It's fascism. It can be practiced by individuals like the Oklahoma policeman who recently used his badge to assault over 30 ladies. Disgust. Gross. Taking women in an impoverished situation. And yet sitting on a stand crying, I didn't do it. That's injustice. Police shootings that make no sense. You see, the issue is the misuse of power. You see it all around us. One injustice after another. It kind of just rolls on day after day to where we kind of get numb to it. We're not surprised by what we hear anymore. But you see this even in the day of Jesus. You see it in his coming. It's the backdrop. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, 2 through 3, do you remember the Magi come from the east? They come to Jerusalem. And it says that they ask King Herod this question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? They said, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And so what did Herod do? At the news of hearing this one who was born king of the Jews, he's feeling threatened, his power, his kingship. And he tells the Magi, go. And then come back and report to me where this one Jesus can be found. So I too can go and worship him. But obviously Herod's desire wasn't to go and worship Jesus. Magi, led by God's spirit evidently here. By the sovereignty of God, they don't come back and tell Herod. In fact, they warn Mary and they warn Joseph. And we see in Matthew 2 that Mary and Joseph will not um, go to Jerusalem. Instead, where will they go? They will go to Egypt. They will flee and go to Egypt. And so what does Herod do? In response to the Magi not coming back, he's enraged. He's furious. And he takes and has all the two-year-olds and younger slaughtered. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Despicable injustice. The powerful oppressing the powerless and the most vulnerable. And God hates it. Not many times we hear God hates something. But when it's wicked... And it's evil and it's sin. He hates it. He hates the injustice of our day. In fact, listen to these verses. Psalm 11, verse 5. This is real clear. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. The one who loves violence, God's soul hates. He hates it. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, listen to this. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utter lies, and one who spreads strife and hate among brothers. God hates injustice. So much so. He hates it. Why? 
because it is against the very ones that he has created in his image. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, we, we see that God created man. He created you and I, the pinnacle of his creation. Why? Because we're created in the image of God. And when we commit an injustice, whether it's robbery or whether it's violence, whatever it may be, a sexual assault, an assault, whatever it looks like, when we oppress another, when we sin against another, God hates that because it is an attack against one who he's created in his image. And therefore, it's an attack against him. You're not only offending that person, hurting that person, killing that person, but what's happening is you're dragging the glory of God through the mud and making a mock, making a mockery of God. It's what injustice does. That's why God hates it. He hates every beheading of Christians, the bombings and the shootings at the hands of ISIS and ISIL. He can't stand it. He hates the injustices of human trafficking. He hates the injustices of violence against girls and women in other countries where laws are supposed to be enforced, but instead are broken and merely tolerated. He hates the injustice against unborn babies. He hates it, the most vulnerable. God hates all injustices. Why? Because it's evil. He hates it. I love the quote from Barry, Dr. Barry Jones in his book, Dwell. He says this, God hates sin not just because it violates his law, but because it violates shalom, because it breaks the peace and it, because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. We may safely describe, he says, evil as any spoiling of shalom, whether physically by disease. That's why we hate sickness, right? God hates it because it disrupts shalom. So he says, whether physically by disease, morally, spiritually, or otherwise, it violates shalom. And so the human race fell into a world of injustice. We see that in the fall, in the Garden of Eden. And from there, it's just been a snowball. From Cain and Abel, and that snowball's just gotten bigger. Of one injustice after another. So we hear that, and we feel like Longfellow, right? We feel like the song of hate is strong. The song of mockery against God and peace and goodwill to men. We, we feel that. But I want you to know that Scripture rings the bells. It rings the bells of peace. That God's not dead. He's not absent. He does care. He's involved. He's in the throne. He's well aware. He's mindful. And there is hope. There is hope for the restoration of shalom, what has been broken, what has been destroyed, what's been broken down. There is hope for harmony. There's hope for unity. There's hope for rebuilding. There's hope for shalom. Listen to these passages. Isaiah 58, verse 6, 7, and 8. Listen to what God speaks through his prophet Isaiah. Beautiful words. He says, is this not the fast which I choose? God's not very happy with his people when he starts saying what he does in this chapter and a few chapters later. He's a little ticked at him. 
And judgment's going to come. And why? Because they themselves have committed injustices. They themselves have sat back and merely tolerated injustice. And he tells them, this is the fast which I choose. Basically what he's saying is, your little religious games mean nothing to me, right? In fact, Isaiah 1, what does he say? He says, I'm tired of it. Message to the 2015 church. <laughs> you know what he says? He says, I don't care about your Sunday morning gatherings. <laughs> I don't care that you show up and you check a box off. I don't care if you throw something in the plate. I mean, that's basically how he comes. And he says, what about your heart? <laughs> what about your hands? What about your feet? What about your body? What about your mind? Are, are you living a life of shalom? And, and I don't care about these little motions you go through. They're meaningless is what he says. That's, that's my translation of Isaiah 1 and on. They wear God out. It's like, oh, sing a song, but man, if you're going to sing a song of goodwill and peace toward men, live that way, right? If you're going to sing a song to God, have a life that backs it up. I and mean, that's what, what he's basically saying is live a life that lives out the kingdom. And that's what God wants. That's his desire. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, this is a reality for you and I. That's what you and I are to be living as the Ridge Church. And so he says here, as I finally am going to get to the verse, he says here, this is the fast which I choose because what you've chosen is not right. He says, I want you to loosen the bonds of wickedness. I want you to undo the bands of the yoke of slavery. I want you to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. It is not to divide your bread with the hungry. It, it, is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? He says, okay, if you do this, meaning if you stop your injustices and you start to stop tolerating the injustices in your day and just blinking an eye at them and then going on and living your life, here's, here's what God says. If you do that, then verse 8 will happen. Then your light will break out like the dawn. And your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You want that. I want that. We need that. He basically says, I created you to be a city on a hill. You're not being a city on a hill. You're being a trash dump. That's my translation. But then he says in verse 8, you get this thing together. You start spreading shalom. You start, stop tolerating injustices. He said, listen, then you'll become that city on a hill. You'll be that city that shines bright and has the glory of the God shining through you. And then Isaiah 61, listen to what he says. He says, restoration of shalom, it's coming. But how is it going to come? Listen to what he says. He says in verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim that favorable day, or excuse me, year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Sion, giving them a garland uh, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What's this promise? It's a double prophecy, a double fulfillment that will happen where he says, you do what I told you in Isaiah 58 and this day is going to come, but it's also speaking of a greater day where shalom will come and ultimately reign forevermore. And so what is it speaking of? It's speaking of God's agency, God's method of how he is going to bring Shalom. And how's he going to do that? Look at Luke chapter 4. I want to show you this. I love this. Because God says, yes, shalom is going to be restored. The captives are going to be set free. How's that going to happen? Look at Luke 4. The passage that Mike read for us today, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues, was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue. And on the Sabbath, he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the proclaimed. He has sent me, Jesus says, to proclaim release to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Could you imagine being in that synagogue that day and, and that just landing? And everything, all the shadows of the Old Testament just coming together. Be like, you're the one that the Spirit of God has landed upon. And obviously, a lot of them did not like that. <laughs> but those who got it, wow. You see, it's Jesus. He, he's the agency, God's agency of bringing shalom. He's God's method. In fact, in Isaiah 9, the song we sung earlier, where it says, for unto us a child will be born, a son given to us. His government will reign on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. And then that last characteristic, that last title, he'll be the Prince of Peace. He'll be the Sar Shalom. That's who Jesus is. He is the way of peace. He is the restorer of peace. He brings freedom to captives and unbounds those whose hearts are in prison. That's what Jesus has come to do. He has come to bring shalom to our hearts that through the church, you and I, we would spread it. So I want to do this this morning before we go. I want to give you just three applications, just real quick. In light of this, this is God's heart. Shalom. The first thing is this, is we must trust in Jesus. I mean, that's where we've got to begin. 
Isaiah 53, 6 says that all of us like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own ways, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all, the injustices of us all to fall on Jesus, his son. We are bound, we're held captive by sin, but Jesus came to do what? To restore, to make us new, that we would know shalom. In Romans chapter five, Paul tells us this, that we are justified by faith alone. We have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. And then he says in verse six, for while we were yet still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In verse eight, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And much more, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved through the wrath of God, or by the wrath, from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by Jesus' life. That's our hope for shalom. Shalom in our hearts, in our restless, rebellious, wandering hearts. Jesus is the only one who brings peace and rest to our souls. That's it. But we must believe. A familiar verse in Luke 2.14 where it says, glory to God in the highest. It says, on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. It's an interesting verse. Who does peace come to? to those whom God is pleased. Who's God's pleased with? Hebrews tells us those who have faith. Those who have faith in Christ. And so we must trust Christ. That's, that's the first application this morning. If we wanna be a part of spreading shalom, we've gotta first trust Jesus Christ ourselves. The second thing is we must pray for shalom. We must pray for peace, this uncommon peace. Psalm 122, six through nine, tells us this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and may the, they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. And so asking God, bless the palaces, bless the city, but listen to this, for the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. And that's what Christ brings. Sure, we want peace for Jerusalem, we pray for that, ultimately, we want peace within the hearts of all people. So we pray for Jerusalem. We pray for places like France, especially today. So much going on in France. Did you know right now that there is revival happening in France? I think it's because of all the attacks. I mean, God has ordained those and used those to bring about a revival in evangelical churches to where every 10 days a new church is being planted in evangelical church. Every 10 days that's happening across France, including places like Lyon with the Marshalls, churches being planted. There are churches there and four others that we get to financially support this Advent season. But we pray for that. We pray for shalom in France. 
We pray for shalom in the Middle East as many are coming to Christ in Muslim nations. In areas of ISIS strongholds where beheadings of Christians are taking places and justices against Christians are taking places, Muslims will stand and watch these Coptic Christians be martyred. And they watch how they die and how they die well. Many Muslims are turning away from Islam because they see the religion that they've held dear toward for many years is not a religion of peace whatsoever. And they see these people dying peacefully. People have been turning to Jesus. In fact, it was interesting. I've heard that thousands upon thousands are turning to Christ in these Muslim nations. At the same time this week on the radio, I heard that, that the population of Christianity is dwindling in places like Iraq and other places in the Middle East. And I'm suddenly thinking, what? No, that's, that's, that's not accurate. And then I heard them say this. That they said the population is because they're being killed. And it just caused my heart to sink. But then it made me think the great words that we've heard before of how the saints of old, the blood of the saints of old is what waters the fields for God's church to grow, for people to come to Christ. And that's what's happening. And so we pray for shalom in the Middle East. We pray for shalom here at the rich, that we would be a people of peace in our relationships the people that we encounter, that we would spread shalom, that we would pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done here at the ridge as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. And third and last is this, that we would be a community that spreads shalom. That we would be a community that spreads shalom. And in many ways, you're doing this. You're doing this. I don't know if you think about it, But the big boxes you did that provided three days of food for families, huge, huge. You might be thinking, man, that's like a drop in a bucket, but spreading shalom. The 75 shoe boxes that you provided for the gift of joy, those boxes went and helped women in hard places, many who had faced the hand of injustice upon themselves. This week they came in and picked them up Pastor David was here, and they told David, they said, listen, we are blown away. We're blown away. This is the most boxes we've ever received by any church. Wow. What's that doing? That's spreading shalom. That's spreading shalom. This past Monday night at the progressive dinner the the ladies had together, eight women from Namnoon Church Korean congregation that meets here at 1.30, came and was part of the evening. You might be thinking, okay, man, that's spreading shalom. Because what is that doing? That is engaging cross-culturally with people from a different culture that we speak different language. Things are just different, but yet we're engaging them together. And that's what God wants. That's what God wants. That's shalom. That's what he desires, And so, you're doing it. Through the Advent giving, each year, upon a year, and it just keeps rolling on, you're spreading shalom. 
You're helping the work of the gospel of peace spread. Places like France and Serbia, through the ministry of like real options, who stands up for the vulnerable, the most vulnerable, and also shares the gospel with mothers who come in seeking to have an abortion and many struggle with what do I do? And some change their mind, ended up parenting or placing children for adoption. And some even come to know Jesus. That's spreading shalom and you have a part in that. And so Ridge Church, let's be a people who spread shalom. That's the work of the church. That's what you and I are to be doing. In our homes, we spread shalom as we speak about Jesus to our kids. We hold up the name of Christ in our homes. Maybe there's an opportunity in your home where a harsh word is spoken. And instead of responding harshly back, you respond with a gentle answer. That's spreading shalom. Men and women, in your place of work during the week, when you go to work, many times I'm sure you think, I'm just going here to make a paycheck, right? But I want you to know there's greater purpose. You're going in that place of work to spread shalom. To speak of the peace of God and the hope of God. That not all is lost. But that there is hope in the God of peace. In your neighborhood, may you be a peacemaker. May you be a person of peace and spread shalom. That's what God wants. That's his desire for the rich church. Let's pray.